obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path to follow your word. I have not turned from your judgments, for you yourself have instructed me. How sweet your word is to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Let's pray. Fathers, we have gathered here today. Father, we focus on you and your heart, but the way we engage with you so much is your, is your word. And Father, as we look into your word together today, draw our hearts closer to yours. Help us understand not only what you're saying in your word, but the reason we need to be in your word. And Father, help our focus to be on you and on your word and your will for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now before we get into our points today, I want to kind of give you a little background about Psalm 119. Now some of you probably know, there's probably one thing unique about Psalm 119 that most of you know already. Does anybody, anybody want to make a guess at what that is? What's unique about Psalm 119? It's a psalm, okay? What? It's the longest, the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119. I think it's 176 verses, something like that. So it's very long. So that's, we all know that. Um, two chapters before, Psalm 117 is the shortest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119 is the longest. So we all know that, but... But there's two other things I want you to know about it. First, if you've read it in your Bible, you notice it's got like some subdivisions there with some really weird words in it, like Aleph and Beth and Mem and things like that. In fact, the passage you read today started with a little subheading, Mem. How many of you had saw that in your Bible somewhere? That thing, Mem, all right? Here's the reason it says that. Those are letters of the Hebrew alphabet. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And this psalm written in Hebrew is an acrostic psalm. There's 22 subsections. And each of those subsections, each one starts with, in order, a letter out of the alphabet. So it would be like writing a poem and you're saying, Always will I love you because you are the best. Uh, clearly you are the, you know, that kind of thing. So it's, you know, it's A, B, C. So it's that kind of thing. When you see it, it's just a way of dividing it up. Because we reminded that the Psalms were really Hebrew songs. And they're, they're Hebrew poetry. And so this is an acrostic poem. But the main thing I want you to know about the Psalm, Psalm 119 is that it's really a love song to God's Word. The whole chapter is all about God's Word and how good it is for us and how it helps us. Now, we don't have time to go through all 176 verses in Psalm 119, so that's why we're just looking at, at 8 or 9 today. So this is what I want you to see. It's a love song to the Bible, and that makes it very easy to get into our very first point, which is the Bible is worthy of our love. We don't realize that. We may feel like it's just a book that we read. You know, it's, some people feel like it's like reading the Fresno Bee, for those of you who are my age and older that actually remember newspapers, that kind of thing, or it's like reading, you know, anything else. No, it's very different, and it's a book that's truly worthy of our love. So let's see what the psalm says, psalmist says about it. He says, right at the start, he says, he loves God's law. That's the very first thing there. He says, how I love your instruction. Now, Let's take a moment again to talk about what is he talking about when he talks about God's word here at this point. When he talks about God's law. The law basically referred to the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And at the time this psalm was written, that was pretty much what they had for the Bible. Now, 
Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Kings, uh, or First Kings at least. Uh, maybe some of First Chronicles are already written. Job had already been written, but they'd not been gathered into the Bible form at that point. But they were considered that. So the law sometimes refers just those first five verse, uh, first five books of the Bible, but it's also sometimes, and Jesus used it to refer to just the whole idea of what God said in God's word. So even though the psalmist was writing this for part of the Old Testament, the principles that we can follow that Jesus gave us says we can apply this to the entire Bible. So the psalmist meant those first things. And again, he's talking about Leviticus. Now, if you're reading in our, in our scripture reading together, we've been in Genesis. And there's some funky stuff in Genesis, right? Has anybody run across any weird stuff in Genesis already? I mean, listen, if we ever think our church is messed up, just look at some of those people. They, I mean, we, we look pretty good compared to some of those guys. But when you get into Leviticus, it gets tedious a little bit. You're gonna, it's just a little bit of a slog because it's all sorts of things about ritual cleansings and things like that. Yet the psalmist is saying even those things that seem so tedious to us, those are things I love. Those are things that instruct me. Those are things that help me. So even for the psalmist, he's saying those tough things about what you're requiring of us, those are things I still love because they're helping me. They're instructing me. And so uh, the psalmist loved it so much that he would meditate on it day, all the day. And then in verse 103, he says this. He compares it to honey. He says, your word is like honey in my mouth and to my taste. It's sweeter than Your word is sweet to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. Now, for most of us, when we think of something sweet, honey is probably not what we think of first. Okay, when I think of something sweet, little Debbie snack cakes, the zebra cakes. Man, that's, yeah, like, I know, that's, that's the one I go to, man. It's, it's, I have to stay away. I can't even go down the aisle where they're sold, all right? I just have to avoid it. Um, fortunately, on my, on my, at my grocery store, it's sold on the same aisles with liquor, so I never go down that aisle, all right? So avoid alcohol and little Debbie snack cakes, then, then I'll be okay, all right? But we don't think of honey, but back in that day, they really did think of honey because they didn't have refined sugar like we have today. So honey was the quickest way to get sugar into your body. In fact, you remember, remember the story of Samson? That he kills a lion, and then a little bit later he walks back, and a, and a, and a uh, bees have put a hive in the, in the lion. So Samson goes to the dead lion and reaches in with a group of bees there to pull out honey because he wanted it so badly. I mean, that's, you got to like something a lot to be able to pull it out of a carcass of a dead lion, right? But he said that's what he really loved. But my favorite passage about honey is this. It's in, it's in 1 Samuel 14, 27. It talks about Jonathan, the son of King Saul. It says, Jonathan put out the end of his staff that was in his hand, and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his eyes brightened in other words honey was so important for getting sugar into the into the into the body of a warrior that it made his eyes brighten up and you can all think of that that you there's food that you taste that you just like oh yeah that's good all right all right now give, i'll give you just a moment to think about it then we're gonna have to move on past it all right okay so for me the, but we all have certain foods that we just like it well that's as you think about that When's the last time you read God's word and it got into it and you read it in your face, your eyes brightened because of it? Think about it. If we're engaging God's word the way the psalmist did, it ought to be the kind of thing that when we read it, not every time, that's not, I know that's not going to happen every time, but it ought to happen a lot more than it does. I mean, it's happened for me a few times, but I'll mention, I'll tell you honestly, it's been few times, rare and far between, that... I've read something and just it actually changed the expression on my face. 
but it does happen occasionally. And that's what I want you to go for as you're reading through your Bible this year. Whether you go through reading the whole Bible as a part of our plan or whether you just try to engage with it every day, look for something that says where God can speak to your heart through it and it makes your eyes brighten. In fact, if it does, I want to give you this challenge. In our church body, if that happens, text it to somebody in our church. Share with them. All right? And yes, they may think you're weird, all right? Because most of us here are a little weird, all right? So just don't, where you're just confirming what people already know. But I want to encourage you that share with it when something in God's Word makes your eyes brighten, makes your heart lift up, whatever it might be. <clears throat> so now I want to ask you this, though. Has God ever revealed Himself to you through His Word in such a way that you were visibly moved? Have you ever desired God's Word more than you've desired your favorite food? Let's put it this way. Do you crave God's word more than your sweet tooth craves chocolate? I want you to ask, no, I want you to think about that seriously. Do I tra- crave God's word? Are there times that I feel like I've got to sit down and read his word? Or is it more often, well, I guess I need to read God's word. I need to get that done. I need to check that off my to-do list. <clears throat> the psalmist said he loved God's word that much. <clears throat> Sorry about that. That, it, that he craved it, just like we would crave something sweet. God's word is worthy of our love and our desiring of it. Now, that's the kind of love we need to make sense of the rest of the points of this message. Because the second thing it says in here is that the Bible can make you wise. If you love it enough, if you're following enough, the Bible can make you wise. And we find this in verses 99, 100, and 101. In those verses, he's got three different images he uses for how the Bible can make you wise. Three different ways to look at it. The first one, the psalmist says, he found wisdom from the word to defeat his enemies. That's in, in verse 98. So he says, your word, let me read it here, make sure I get it right. Your command makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is always with me. Now, when we think of the psalms, we think mainly of King David. King David wrote a lot of the psalms. Some of them he had, he commissioned to be written by other people. So they were written by some of the, the music leaders in his court and that kind of thing. But we basically, the psalmist focused around David. And David was a warrior king. He had enemies everywhere. He had political enemies, religious enemies, military enemies. He even had enemies in his own family. Some, some of you may be able to relate to that. And if David wasn't wiser than his enemies, he would lose his kingdom and lose his life and he he attributes his success over his enemies to god's commands that were found in his word now you may not have enemies like like david did okay you may not really feel like there's somebody out there to get me but you know what as followers of christ we do have enemies out there there are enemies and spiritual enemies that 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 really are trying to attack us now i'm not trying to do this hunker in the bunker everybody who's in that political party that you're not a part of whichever one it may be they're not all satanists and they're trying to you know destroy everything i'm not trying to say that but there is a real spiritual battle going on a battle for your heart every day a battle for your mind a battle for for what is right in this world and those things are our enemies and if we're not set solidly in god's word every day we will not have the strength We will not have the wisdom that we need to be wiser than our enemies. 
And so that's what that's a particularly big one for, for King David would have been making me wiser than my enemies. Now the next one is going to, some of you in this room are going to be identified with because if you're a student, you may feel this, this is, a, this is a chapter, a verse that every student ought to learn. It's verse 99. It says, I have insight than all, more insight than all my teachers because your decrees are my meditation. Now I subbed a couple of days this week and I can tell you, I had several students that thought they were smarter than me, all right? They probably weren't, but King David said, when I study your word, I'm smarter than all my teachers. And what he's saying there is that by, by, by focusing on his word, he's going to be able to know the wise things he needs that are beyond this world's knowledge to be able to survive. You know, I, I was a cocky kid growing up. I'll admit, in high school, I did think I was smarter than a lot of my teachers. You know what? Uh, maybe, maybe there were some I was smarter than. Probably most of us didn't care whether I thought I was smarter than them or not. Just leave a little under that illusion if you want to. But as opposed to my youthful cockiness, the psalmist was wiser, was wiser than, his, than his teachers because he meditated on God's decrees. And decrees is a poetic synonym. Remember, this is poetry. So synonym there, the synonym decree is just for God's commands. So he says, because I look at God's commands, what he's telling me to do, because I meditate on them, I am going to be wiser than my teachers. Now, meditation is another word that we don't think about very often because we, when we think about meditation, you usually think of somebody sitting in the lotus position, which I've never been able to get to, and doing this, you know, um, um, kind of, that's not what meditation's about. Meditation at this point is thinking deeply about something. So when is the last time you read something in God's Word and you actually sat down and thought deeply about it? I know it's hard, and this is what I encourage you to do. If you want God's Word to make you wise, we need to actually sit down and meditate with it and think about it for a little bit. Because most of us just don't get it right away. It's something very deep, and sometimes you just got to sit with it for a little bit. That's a wise thing to do in a lot of areas. Whenever I get a critical email, and I get, pastors get them all the time, uh, employees get them all the time. Uh, I sometimes will get them from extended family members with some things. And so sometimes, in fact, I have one that I got about a week and a half ago that I've been sitting with and meditating on for a little bit before I figure a wise response to it. So, um, and that's okay. You know, we all face that. But, but God's word is deeper than that. And so sometimes you just got to sit with it and say, God, help me understand what you meant here. And it's amazing how your perception on things can change. Again, I'm 66 years old. I've been a Christian for 60 years. I don't know how many times I've read through God's Word. I'd say probably 35, maybe, something like that. Uh, maybe more. And yet, there's still times I'm sitting there and reading God's Word and all of a sudden go like, oh my gosh, I never got that before. And the reason I haven't gotten it before uh, could be because I just wasn't mature enough as a believer but it may also be because I didn't sit down with it enough and just let it soak. Or be 